This is the Daily Signal podcast for Tuesday, October 26th. I'm Doug Blair. And I'm Virginia Allen. Schools across America are using far-left curriculum like the New York Times 1619 Project in the classroom. Charles Love, host of the Cut the Bull podcast and executive director of Seeking Educational Excellence, says ideologies promoted by the 1619 Project actually pose a threat to the American experiment. Love joins the show today to discuss some of the root problems facing K-12 education and how parents can be part of the solution. We also discuss Love's forthcoming book, Race Crazy, BLM 1619 and the Progressive Racism Movement. But before we get to Virginia's conversation with Charles Love, let's hit the top news stories of the day. Republican representative from Indiana Jim Banks reported on Saturday that Twitter had suspended his account over a tweet that misgendered Trans Department of Health and Human Services Assistant Secretary for Health Rachel Levine. Levine identifies as a woman but is a biological man. Last Tuesday, Banks tweeted, The title of first female four-star officer gets taken by a man referencing the fact that Levine had recently been promoted to a four-star admiral in the U.S. Public Health Service Commissioned Corps. Banks received a notice that his account had been suspended for violating Twitter's hateful conduct policy and that he would need to remove the offending tweet to regain access to his account. On his personal account, Banks issued a statement refusing to comply, stating, My tweet was a statement of fact. Big Tech doesn't have to agree with me, but they shouldn't be able to cancel me. If they silence me, they will silence you. Per ABC6 News, Banks' official congressional Twitter account remains online, but without posting privileges. Banks' personal account has not been affected. Florida Republican Governor Ron DeSantis says the state will offer a $5,000 bonus to any out-of-state police officer who chooses to relocate to Florida. During a press briefing Monday, DeSantis responded to claims that the incentives were being offered to officers in response to COVID-19 vaccine mandates. But the governor was clear that the $5,000 bonus has nothing to do with vaccine mandates. He said the incentives were being offered to attract good police officers leaving states or regions where police morale is low per the Hill. The reason we're doing it is because people are being treated poorly in Seattle and Minnesota and New York NYPD. They don't have the support. They've had their funding cut. Uh, They they get criticized if they just enforce the law. Some places they don't even enforce the law, like in San Francisco. They don't prosecute people shoplifting. So you have rampant crime. So that's why we're doing it, because morale is low. Morale is low for years because of how, how law enforcement's been treated. But when you saw all the rioting last summer, all the vitriol directed at them, Florida stood up and said, we back the blue. And so we are 100 uh, percent excited about saying anyone that's being mistreated, if the morale's low, if you can't take, take uh, that environment and you have, we have openings here, you're going to get an environment where people are going to support you. Uh, And I think that that's something that's, and I can tell you the people that have come down from some of these places already, you talk to them, it's the best decision they've ever made. DeSantis added that he does not think officers should be fired for refusing to be vaccinated, but continued to stress that the bonus is not related to the vaccine mandate for police officers. 
On Saturday, following the advancement of the Atlanta Braves to the Baseball World Series, Georgia Governor Brian Kemp mocked MLB, as well as Stacey Abrams, for stealing the All-Star game from the state back in July due to a series of election integrity laws that drew mass controversy. Kemp tweeted, While Stacey Abrams and the MLB stole the All-Star game from hardworking Georgians, the Braves earned their trip to the World Series this season and are bringing it home to Georgia. Chop on and go Braves. In July, MLB Commissioner Rob Manfred announced that the MLB would be moving the All-Star game out of Georgia to Colorado, arguing that the best way to demonstrate our values as a sport is by relocating this year's All-Star game and MLB draft. In response to MLB's decision to move the All-Star game, Kemp called the move a knee-jerk decision, in addition to blaming President Joe Biden and Abrams for lying about the election integrity bill. In the World Series game, the Braves will face the Houston Astros with some of the games played in Atlanta. Now stay tuned for my conversation with Charles Love, Executive Director of Seeking Educational Excellence, as we discuss the root problems within education right now and his new book, Race Crazy, BLM 1619 and the Progressive Racism Movement. Are you looking for an easy and entertaining way to keep up with the news you care about? The Daily Signal and Heritage Foundation YouTube channels offer interviews with policy experts on the most critical issues and debates America is facing today, as well as short explainer videos that break down complex issues and documentaries that dive deep into the ways policy actually impacts people. Go ahead and subscribe to both the Daily Signal and Heritage Foundation YouTube channels today. You can search for either on your YouTube app or visit youtube.com slash heritagefoundation and youtube.com slash daily signal. I am so pleased to be joined by author, scholar, and host of the Cut the Bull radio show, Charles Love. Charles, thank you so much for being here. Well, thanks for having me. Wonderful talking to you. So, uh, Charles, you are the executive director of Seeking Educational Excellence. Also, C, it's a great acronym. Mm -hmm. It's a nonprofit whose mission is to empower disadvantaged students to reach their full potential. So explain a little bit about the work that you all do there. Well, as far as the the disadvantaged children, the main goal is solutions-based, right? We look at these uh, schools across the country that are failing kids. You know, people are dropping out kids who are um, graduating, but they're not reading and doing math at a great level. And we, we see a problem. we like, but no one's really focused on solutions. They're, they talk about it, not, not enough. But when they talk about it, it's more from a racial standpoint, and it's you know what the system is doing uh, right or wrong, but not about what we can do to fix it. And we felt that whatever racism that exists is not an argument that it doesn't exist, but how do we solve that problem? And looking at the landscape, it became obvious that while people debate the levels of racism in the country, the one thing that seems pretty clear is that blacks and other minorities who do well at STEM, you know, they get a degree in engineering or accounting to become doctors or some things of that nature, none of them are unemployed. So it seems like the immediate thing you can control We have to deal with the racism and emotion and all that stuff later. But the one thing we can control now is creating more people 
who are interested in and then eventually will graduate in those uh, degrees and get jobs because they'll, it will eliminate a lot of the, the uh, failure that we are, are seeing, but no one seems to focus on that. So we wanted to say, stop focusing on social justice. If you want to be an activist, you want to protest, I'm okay with you doing it. Others may not be. But don't do it in the school. Mm-hmm. In the school, teach what helps these kids advance and they'll be better off. And that's what, what, what our initial push was, to make that happen and find ways to make that happen. So are you partnering with schools across the country to kind of give them the tools to say, hey, this is how you build kids up, this is how you lift them up, and we need to be careful about where we're putting our focus. How, how are you all practically carrying out that mission? Well, we would like to do that, but it's hard because, you know, a lot of the schools are just buying on, buying into this thing either because they truly believe it, they're true believers, or because of fear. So we have a curriculum we're working on that's full on, you know, like at 1776, we have a curriculum that's more focused on black empowerment and going against the grain of the 1619 being wholly negative and saying everything is so bad. And we're like, okay, those things are true, but there's other narrative. And so we, we highlight people who teach different things and people who have done different things. At C, we're more strictly focused on actual educational stuff. So since people are focused on on civics and history and government and things of that nature, a curriculum that will teach them, fill in the blanks from the 1619, so to speak, and teach them facts. But it's hard to put it in schools because, you know, you need somebody who's willing to do it. So we're working that angle. It, it takes some time. But also, as we mentioned earlier, when Ian Rowe was talking about, you know, running for school board, we think that these, once these, we want to make sure that people understand what's going on. And as they start to wake up, give them avenues to get into things. So we want more people to run for school board, but they don't know how, they don't know why, they don't know what the school board does. And so we try to enter things from that standpoint too. So either the curriculum or focusing on the school board, because it's so hard to get directly into the schools with what they consider right wing, even though it's not, it's simply solutions based. But if they view it that way, they kind of turn off. Mm-hmm. That's so good. I love that solutions based. That's really, really critical to be having that conversation about what are the solutions within uh, really the issues of education and the problems that we're seeing within our education system right now. Well, it's really important because think about it. Whatever you believe, and I beat up on sometimes my personal views, but outside of that, it doesn't matter whether you agree with me or not. The bottom line is you think the country's racist. You think that these problems that they're highlighting are problems. But are they offering any solutions? There's not one thing anyone can come to me and tell me, BLM, 1619, CRT, whatever you want to call it, anti-racist, one thing that they're saying that solves the problem. Not one thing. So... If they really care about the problem, let's deal with that and and find solutions. Well, and you mentioned 1776 Unites, excellent curriculum that they now have uh, for high school students, really continuing to promote that. We encourage all of our listeners to check that out. You have written for them. Many schools, though, we have seen uh, adopt the, the 1619 Project, the New York Times 1619 Project curriculum. Why do you think so many schools are are promoting things like the 1619 Project, are adopting uh, this really social justice agenda? Because it's easy. That is the simplest but probably most honest answer. It's simple. People are, you know, craving change, the loudest voices. It's not the majority of people, but they're the loudest voices. People get pressured, and they're like, oh, let's go with this thing. I know things have um, elevated exponentially since George Floyd was killed, but people got to remember. So 1619 came out in the fall of 2019. 
well before that happened. And by that school, when this school started in September of that year, it was already in 4,500 schools, just right off the bat. And it's growing. So while we're arguing up here about CRT, is what's the definition? What does it really mean? 1619 is a behemoth and it's growing. Now, many people, and I argue this, people who are who are passionate about this stuff, they don't believe me because I live in the real world. So they like, well, because they watch and follow and they listen to podcasts and they read these stories. So they're like, what do you mean? You know, all we got to do is just rise up and do this. I'm like, you don't understand. We're just a tiny fraction, the average person. So it's a small percentage of people who are yelling about it. It's a small percentage of us who are fighting against it. The majority of America is just living their lives and they're not listening to any of this stuff. So we want to change. We need to reach them. So I have a book coming out this fall, November 9th, uh, November 9th and it's available for uh, pre-sale now, called Race Crazy. It's BLM 1619 and the Progressive Racism Movement. One third of that book is specifically about the 1619 Project. I write a chapter about every essay and the point is that not to attack it because many of the things, that's not the problem. So I don't go into the book and say it's not true. What I say is what they infer from it is not logical the logical conclusion, or they omit a wide swath of st things. So while they're arguing about an honest history, an honest history would probably include all the things they leave out. So, you know, in my book, I lay that out, their quotes, what they say, what the agreeing that it's true, where it is, because some of it's not, and then filling in the blanks. But what they don't tell you is this. That's why I think it's important. It's going to be a manual to how to push back against this and anything else that comes uh, into the schools. But the reason why they're doing it is just fear. It's easier than, than standing up. Hmm. I'm so glad you brought up the book. We're going to chat a little bit about more, uh, a little more about that in just a moment. But you mentioned kind of the middle, and you're right. Most Americans are are, are busy. They're uh, you know they have soccer practice for their kids. They have a job. They're juggling a lot, and they're they don't always feel like they have time to be checking up on what is my child learning in school. They're not aware of it. How how do we engage and educate? everyday Americans about what's really happening in their child's classroom, and then how do we give them the tools uh, if they discover, oh, I don't like this, how do we give them the tools to push back and be a voice and make sure their children are, are learning facts and are learning what they should be learning in education? Well, that is the single hardest thing, um, and it's becoming harder every day. It's hard because we have lives, right? We got things to do. We're busy, like you said. That's one factor. If that was just it, it would already be hard. It's compounded by the fact that most people get their still get their news from mainstream media, and the mainstream media doesn't think it's a problem, so they don't highlight it as a problem. So you don't hear it on the mainstream media. Uh, I give them a pass for that because they don't have to listen to alternative news sources. But the school thing is interesting because you think you'd be active with what's going on in the schools. But that's why it's such a problem because now that would be bad enough, but now schools are actively suppressing the things that they're doing. So they give the kids these forms and they're giving teachers these forms to have the kids fill out and saying don't tell the parents if they don't want to be told they're you know teaching certain things and then they like telling the teachers but don't tell anybody we're teaching so even if you want it to be the parent to find out they're not going to just volunteer the information so unless your kid is telling you something else you're not going to find out so that's part of the problem and part of the things that like the Goldwater Institute who we at C work with is fighting for transparency laws making it part of the law that you can teach whatever you want to, but you need to pass out physically. Like you send those notes home to kids to every parent about what you're teaching. You figure that even the busy parents will glance at that list. So you need to force them to tell because they won't tell on their own. That's part of it. The other part is, is, is hard. I don't know how to do it because I have a, a podcast and a radio show. I, I, other people are talking, more people are being active, but are they really going to listen to that? We're going to have to take the show on the road and go into communities and, and to businesses and talk to people. It's going to be hard and take a while, but that's the only way to do it because because 
where else do you find me? Uh, how else can you reach the people if they're not listening to this, these things? So you have to take it to them somehow. Um, it's hard, but that's kind of the only way. I don't see any other way you can do it. Yeah. Because most of the people are outside of that. They're not talking about it. They're not listening to it. And they don't know. I mean, I talked to a surprising number of people who never heard of DEI, who didn't know, um, don't, don't know Kendi. They don't know Nicole Hannah-Jones. They don't know the same equal voices on the right. They just don't know that stuff. So, I mean, they don't know what's going on. So how can you expect them to be upset about it? Yeah. We are talking with Charles Love, the executive director of Seeking Educational Excellence and the host of Cut the Bull radio show. So as you mentioned, you have a book coming out in November called Race Crazy, BLM 1619 and the Progressive Racism Movement. You've touched on this a little bit, but share a little bit more about what is the mission of this book and who is it intended for? Yeah, that's what I, you know, it takes a lot of work to do this kind of thing. And I, if I was going to do it, I said I have to do, you know, do it in my voice, but fill a void that others aren't doing. So there's a lot of voices pushing out, pushing back against this stuff. And I think that's good. But I'm like, what is missing? And what I thought was twofold. A lot of, especially conservatives, so to speak, are saying this is bad and explaining why some do a better job than the others, and that's great. But in addition to that, they, I add a second piece. So I talk about what's wrong with it and why it's a problem and, and lay out what I believe. But the second piece is, to those who may disagree with me, I don't stop there. I say, and if you listen to me and you heard what I just explained and you disagree with it, fine. I do what I call giving them their, their argument. So I say, let's assume you're right and the country is completely racist or cops are hunting down black people, all these other things that they may believe. I say, but if that's the case, are the things that you are pushing and the things that you are doing helping that? Is it solutions based? And I lay out how everything that they're doing is going to be the opposite and it's not going to give them the goal that they want. So that, that's what I do there. So that's, that's the key. You talk about who my um, target audience is. I don't talk about politi politics that much, but... If we had to look at it that way, it's what they call the center. I'm trying to reach center left, center right people who have whatever views they have about politics, but they just wake them up and let them know what the problem is and get them activated. Because I think if they saw and heard what was happening, they would agree that it's a problem and I'm trying to reach them somehow. And, and last piece is a lot of the books that I think are great that I read are written by academics for other ac academics. So the problem is they're the only people who read the books. So the normals, as I call them, they don't know what those people are writing. So they don't get that great information. So I want them to, I pull from some of that, those sources and I say, this is what you need to know that's happening. We are talking with Charles Love, the executive director of Seeking Educational Excellence about his forthcoming book, Race Crazy, BLM 1619 and the progressive racism movement. So Charles, you know, when we talk about America and the future of our country, America is an experiment and we're honestly still really in the middle of that experiment. One of the things that you talk about in your book coming out in November, Race Crazy, is that BLM, Black Lives Matter organization, is a threat to that American experiment. Why? Well, it's because it's not honest. It's because it's not honest. Um, they, they keep talking about we want an honest conversation uh, about history when you talk about education. It's not honest and it uh, takes a really one-sided, not nuanced and fair approach. So, you know, the 1619, we talked about that and, you know, some inaccuracies and things of that nature. But the BLM kind of takes a more aggressive, in-your-face version of that uh, 1619. At least 1619 offers some uh, facts and truth. BLM took a premise and they ran with it. It's not based on facts, but beyond that, they 
Don't even talk about their core values. If you think about it, everybody who knows BLM knows whether they agree with it or not. It was founded to stop police brutality. Go to their website, listen to them speak. They don't say anything about police brutality anymore. No one really notices that. So I get into the nitty gritty in the book and quotes of their own words talking about we are abolitionists. We are anti-capitalists. What does that have to do with police? They say things like, we want to push both political parties, but uh, essentially the Democrats who say they're on our side, but they don't. We want to push them to make to, we want to change the country, things of that nature. Nothing to do with policing. Even if I give them the argument and police are being uh, are hunting black people, how do you solve that problem if you're not even talking about police brutality anymore? Mm -hmm. They're getting into all these political things, raising money for politicians, talking about, there's a lot of gender stuff, a lot of, you know, they, they, they they create a word they use like five times, cis heteropatriarchy. They talk about that. They talk about how we focus on the queer and trans and all this stuff. And it's not me saying I'm against all that. It's not, you, you can twist my words and say I said something I didn't say. I didn't say that they don't have issues. I didn't say that they don't have rights, that they should be protected. What I said was BLM was founded to stop police brutality on mostly black men. They don't talk about black men in their movement at all. Hmm. Wow. So we've seen a total shift, really, in their priorities. Right. Wow. Very, very fascinating. So as, as a black person yourself, what do you think about the state of racism in America right now? Are there changes that, that are needed, that are necessary? Oh, man, that's a tough one. I think it's bad, but it's not really changes because what is change? It sounds and feels good when you hear change, but change doesn't always mean improvement for one. But what are we really changing? We change the laws. Uh, some people's attitudes need to change. I agree with that. But how do you go about doing that? You can't really police someone's thoughts for one. And two, I believe this is a kind of crazy thing. I'm starting to hear murmurs of this, but I've been saying for about two years that whatever level of racism you think is in the country, now we may disagree. I think it's going down. You think it's at the same or since Trump is worse. Whatever that case is, what BLM 1619, the anti-racist and all these groups are doing, logically just dealing with human nature, it's going to create more racist because you got to put yourself in the person's mind and just be fair, whether it's right or wrong. If I'm a normative white person who didn't grow up around blacks, I didn't grow up hearing all this racist stuff, but I have my views and I agree with some, I disagree with some. I'm a little bit liberal on some things, but I'm constantly told every day that I'm a racist. At some point, some percentage, is it four? Is it 12? Is it 20? I don't know. But common sense says some percentage are going to say, screw it. Since you're calling me racist anyway, fine. I'm tired of hearing about black people. So you create. And then especially since underlying this is really a class thing, so you're calling it race, so you talk really what you're saying, the parts I agree with them on, they're talking about how the poor aren't being treated fairly. Okay, but you're layering it with race. So as a poor white guy, you're going to be like, but I'm struggling too, and you seem to only care about them. You, lay, you add on immigration issues and all that other stuff, the poor white guy is pissed and he has a right to be. And now on top of being poor, losing that, losing the business that's in his one business town, struggling to, to survive, now you're calling him a racist and he has, he's not even focused on race at all because he's trying to survive. And you're like, let's eke out and shift the system specifically to help a certain group of people and leave them out. Why wouldn't they get pissed? So even if you're right about racism, that's not helping racism. It's going to cause more racists. <laughs> Fascinating. Now, I know that some people would respond to that argument that you just made and say, but actually, this has always been an issue. It's just, you know, there's always been racism under the surface. And now we're talking about it and we're bringing it up and we're more aware of it. And we have to talk about these things. <laughs> What's your response to the people that say this has actually always been, been a big issue where it's just now coming up? Well, I won't say it's always been a big issue. So... Larry in, you know, 
Tennessee is a racist. So he's always been a racist and he's still a racist. So yes, factually, technically, he's always been a racist, but he hasn't been acting, acting on it. He's a mechanic. Unless he's physically attacking people, he's not cutting blacks out of jobs because he's not a boss. He's not, he, he, he does, because I, I say this to my mom. My mom's kind of liberal, but she's 80 something years old and she understands. She's talking race, race, race because she's a, you know, a Democrat. And that's fine. And I say in some, some ways you're right. But let me ask you a question, mom. You grew up when things were openly segregated. And I said, when blacks moved into those neighborhoods, what did the white races do? We know they were racist. We have evidence that they were racist. What did they do? And she started laughing because she knew where I was going. I said, did they hang people? This was in the North. Did they kill you? Did they fire you from your job? She's like, no, they moved. So if we know through history, white flight, there's a name for it, that the white racist just wants to be away from the blacks. And these aren't even common the white people who aren't racist, but white racists want to be away from the blacks. So they're going to move away. So if that's the worst that they're going to do, why are you complaining about that? Now, those that they will say that are in positions of power, that may be true, too. I don't know what percentage there are, but there's some. But how are you going to change that? They're not openly saying no blacks uh, apply anymore. They're hiring their buddies. They're doing things of that nature. And that's not necessarily racism, because we know that if a black man ran his business, he believes in nepotism, too. He'd hire his friend's kid, too. But when a black guy does it, it's, it's wonderful. When a white guy does it, it's racist. So I would say to those people that... As much as I may agree or disagree with you, the method you're going about doesn't work because you can't change human behavior. So if they say it's been there all along, it's better that we're talking about it. No, because the proof is in the pudding. Watch the news. Now we're polarized. Now we're yelling at each other. Now everybody's calling everybody a racist. How can they logically think that's helpful? They don't think it's helpful, but they think they're going to get something at the end of the rainbow. They'll get some prize and it won't happen. Hmm. All right. So let's bring it full circle back to education. Okay. So how do we then... When in classrooms, mm -hmm. how do we talk about America's past? How do we talk about the issues of, of race and racism and slavery well mm -hmm. without, uh, without furthering division, without furthering those issues? Simple, simple answer, hard to do. It's really simple. You need to teach it, but teach it age-appropriate and in the right context. I don't think in a finite amount of time in school, when kids aren't reading and doing math to, to level— that we should be focused on teaching slavery all the time. That needs to be in every class. You need to figure, start it somewhere in junior high, work it into high school. It shouldn't be in elementary school at all. And when you teach it, so it doesn't need to be everywhere. And when you teach it, teach it fair. You can teach the C-19 Project as long as you're willing to point out the things that they leave out and give you a little snippet from the book. So I talked about 1619 Project. I already said earlier that a lot of it's um, accurate, but that's not the problem. So they say, we want a true account of history, do you? So do you know that the 1619 Project has nothing positive to say about America? Nothing, not one thing, zero, nothing, not nothing. Secondly, they talk about periods of time. So they'll talk about the founders and talk about, but they own slaves. But they don't mention the fact that a third of them did not own slaves. They don't even mention that. So when they say they own slaves, it's not true because all of them didn't. And then the ones who did, that may be true, a lot of them wrote a lot about slavery. And it was negative. So it doesn't play for the narr narrative. So none of that is in there. Second one I like is they talk about Reconstruction. Spend a long time talking about all of Reconstruction. And they mentioned Rutherford B. Hayes, for historians who know, it's 1876 elect election. They know he made a deal, which led a lot of the uh, former Confederates back into the uh, government and all that. Really bad. So they talk about him. He was a one-term president. But they don't mention Grant, the two-term Republican president who decimated the Klan. His whole presidency was during Reconstruction, but because he actually pushed for civil rights acts, they don't mention him at all. How do you have an honest conversation about Reconstruction and not mention Grant?
that's a great question. Because they're not honest. So yeah. the two solutions quickly again would be don't do it as much and be actually honest, not their warped version of honesty. What is your what is your challenge to parents? To parents that are, are trying to tackle this, they're thinking about their child's education. What is your encouragement to them? What is your message to them? Take the time. As busy as you are, I understand it. I feel your pain. Take the time to know what's going on. Ask questions. Get involved. And uh, confront your teachers. Make them tell you what they're doing. In lieu of any transparency to law, you make them do it. Go to the school boards. Like I said, run for school board. But if you don't run, go listen to what listen to what's happening. Because most of the time, you know, years ago, it'd be like four people there, so they can say anything crazy. Nobody would hear. Get your cell phone recorded. It's an open meeting, and play what they do, and let normal people who aren't in those situations know what's happening. Mm -hmm. How can we follow your work? How can our listeners get the book and be aware of what you're doing? Yes, please pre-order the book Race Crazy coming out November 9th, But you can buy it now. The easiest way, of course, if you don't like Amazon, you can find it on. Amazon. But the easiest way to find me is go to thecharleslove.com, the website, clips from the podcast, the radio show, all that stuff is there. You can follow me on Twitter at cdouglaslove3. And that's, I mean, just those two things, you can find everything I do. Excellent. Excellent. Charles Love, the executive director of Seeking Educational Excellence and the uh, author of the soon coming book, Race Crazy, BLM 1619 and the Progressive Racism Movement. Also a uh, host of the podcast. Cut the bowl. <laughs> the Charles Love Show radio Charles thing. Charles Love Show radio <laughs> show. So thank you so much, Charles, for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you. And that'll do it for today's episode. Thanks for listening to the Daily Signal podcast. You can find the Daily Signal podcast on Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Please be sure to leave us a review and a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and encourage others to subscribe. Thanks again for listening, and we'll be back with you all tomorrow. The Daily Signal podcast is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is executive produced by Virginia Allen and Kate Trinko. Sound designed by Lauren Evans, Mark Guiney, and John Pop. For more information, please visit DailySignal.com.